Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event. Are you ready? Let's get ready to ramp up your sales. And now the man you've been waiting for. He is the real thriller in Manila. The undisputed, undefeated, reigning, defending, pound for pound, heavyweight, John, the sales machine, Rankins! Welcome to another edition of The Sales Machine. And today we've got an amazing guest. He's an international best-selling author, 20 times over, back to back to back to back. He's written books and they've all became bestsellers. He is the founder of AI Superhuman and he just wrote a new book called A Book About AI by AI. He's passionate about changing people's lives. He's been an advisor to governments around the world, especially in the AI scenery. He's been on Kapil Sharma's show that generated over 80 million views all across the world and India. And most recently, he just put out a TEDx talk and at the end of August and literally blew up the whole world over 500,000 views talking about how AI is going to definitely change the world, change sales. And at the sales machine, we're always talking about the right psychology methodology built into technology. And more than ever, AI is going to be relevant with that smart framework for driving sales, increasing performance, and most importantly, retaining your customers moving forward, especially how that automation can empower you and your company to do more with your sales, marketing, accountability, retention, and training to have a system to build a sales machine in your business. Let's welcome my long-term friend. This guy is a legend in Japan, speaks Japanese better than Japanese. Ladies and gentlemen, James Skinner. Hey, John. So, man... You're, you're doing some amazing things in the world. I mean, I've watched you throughout your journey, and I mean, literally tens of thousands of people. Yeah, lives. we've been friends, what, 20 yeah, years? Yeah, 20 years. 20 years, something? 20 years. Yeah. From the old Tony Robbins days to actually watching you build a ginormous organization in Japan and watching you you know, take the Franklin Covey brand there to another level. And, you know, it's been amazing seeing you welcome world leaders like Gorbachev or the Dalai Lama or all of these U.S. presidents into Japan, as well as implementing change at the highest level in Japanese culture. And, you know, I've had the opportunity to be a part of it. And now I'm seeing you elevate that and take it to an entirely new level. And I know that you know, you've been speaking around the world with Robert Kiyosaki on different platforms to... Yeah, I'm actually with Robert in London this weekend. No, next weekend, I should say. And next weekend. I, I spent eight days with him in South Africa. He's, he's just an amazing man, an ex-Marine like I was in the military, but just a real deal. Yeah, we actually uh, sponsored his first visit to Japan. Yeah. Yeah, put 5,000 people in the... Uh, auditorium in Yokohama for him. And uh, at the time, his wife, Kim, was amazing. This podcast is really about empowering companies to build a sales machine in their business with the right psychology, methodology, and technology. And based on, upon your years of experience building companies, but more so now, this 
podcast is really about being real, relevant, and what can people implement in their business right now to build a sales machine in their companies so that essentially they can future-proof their own success or the success of their people. Mm -hmm. That's it. Cool. Ask away. So the question is, what would you do to implement AI into the business for companies to increase sales, performance, and profit in their business? Okay, well, I first got involved with AI and, uh, man, this is going to make me feel old, 1985. 1985. <laughs> so um, most people have kind of started talking about AI in like the last eight months. And I'm thinking like, oh, God, so long ago. So I was working for the U.S. State Department and I was actually with the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo, Japan. And my job at the time was actually introducing U.S.-based AI technology to Japan. And after that, I went to work for NEC, which at the time was the world's largest computer company. And we were working on fingerprint identification systems. So all of this kind of biometric identification, you know, iris scanning and looking at your face in the airport and, oh, there goes John Rankin's down concourse three. The guy who originally made all of that possible used to sit three desks to my left. Most people don't know this. He was a gentleman named uh, Harasan. And he was a mathematical genius from Kyoto University. And so I kind of been around this stuff a, a long time and have had a long time to kind of think about the implications of what it would mean when it finally arrived. And so I guess the first thing to say is it has arrived. AI is here. And it's amazing how many people don't realize that. For example, there was a recent survey, I believe it was done by Goldman Sachs in the United States, and it showed that something like 67% of Americans are worried about how AI will affect jobs, right? As well, they should be worried. But then you got to get this, John, these same people, two thirds of them believe that their job will still exist 30 years from now. Yeah, which is, you know, not the case. No, it's, it's simply a ridiculous presupposition. So when I first started elementary school, um, we were living in Long Island, New York at the time. And as the Fifth Avenue Elementary School in East Northport. And I went in for my first day of school. And, you know, they have the big kind of, you know, reception and all the kids come in, all the parents come in and the principal gets up to talk. And this is, a, oh God, I hate to say this, this is like 1969. Literally, we had just like seen the first man walk on the moon. And here I am going into the first grade. And the principal got up on stage and said, considering it was 1969, the most amazing thing. The principal said, these children are growing up in a world that is different from the one that we lived in. They will have to change their careers multiple times during their life. We are here to educate children that can do that. And this was in 1969 of all things, right? And so the, the first thing is people are going to have to get used to your life and your career is going to be reimagined at a pace that you probably never desired. I remember when uh, we built out Franklin Covey in Japan to their largest source of revenue out of 72 countries, and they decided they needed to own us. So they bought us out and I had to manage it through the transition. And we had to merge Franklin Covey Japan with uh, what had previously been Franklin Quest in Japan. And mergers are painful. Yeah, I used to call up my boss every morning. And um, the, the day I had accepted that role as CEO of the merged company, I tendered my resignation with no date. 
And I used to call up my boss every morning and say, have you, have you dated it yet? And he'd say, no. And I go, oh, are you kidding me, right? I got to do this for another day. And I kept telling him, I said, Royce, his name was Royce Kruger, um, one of the co-founders of Franklin Covey Co. Grew it to 700 million a year. And I, I would just say, Royce, this is more growth in a shorter period of time than I ever wanted to have in my life. But that's going to now be the case for everyone. Everyone is going to have to sign up for more growth in a shorter period of time than you ever desired. We've just moved to like the whole next level of the video game, right? And we have an, a new set of monsters and a new set of challenges. And the old tools and the old approaches simply don't work on the next level of the game. So the first thing, you know, most people have kind of played around with chat GPT a little bit anyway. And I was recently on a television show in Japan called Sokomadi Iteinkai, which of course nobody understands, but it's... um kind of a prestigious talk show over here. On the panel, they had people like former cabinet ministers and a lot of really high-level people. And the topic was AI, and so they had me kind of in the hot seat, kind of explaining what was going on to everyone. And I'm going to say 80% of the people on the panel, after having played around with ChatGPT, had come to the conclusion that it was an interesting toy, okay? And that is a very problematic view because it's not an interesting toy. It's the frigging nuclear bomb, okay? And I want to explain why that is. And then maybe people can get a picture of from understanding why that is, understanding how it's going to change their business and how it's going to change their sales machines, okay? So the mistake that most people are making is they think that ChatGPT is something akin to Google. So they ask it the same kind of questions they would Google responses to. And so they say, you know, what was the GDP of Chile in 1948, you know? Okay. And this phenomena of AI very confidently stating things that are not true is called hallucination. It's just making stuff up. That's what it sounds like. And so people say, well, I asked it some questions and it got some of the answers wrong. And so it's not that useful. But the mistake that they're making, this is a fundamental thing that most people do not understand, is that chat GPT does not repeat does not repeat does not have a database of facts at all correct you've got to prompt it right no no your prompts won't help i'm going to come back that's why i tried to say this three times i'll say it three times again it does not it does not it does not have a database of facts at all chat gpt does not in fact know any facts. Okay, so what it's doing is in 2017, and the great thing about podcasts is we can go a little bit deep on this stuff because we have some time. In 2017, Alphabet, of course, the parent company of Google, published a research paper on something called Transformers. And up until that time, our approach to teaching computers language had been to try and teach it the meaning and the syntax and the grammar in which various words are used. So we tried to teach it words because that's how we learned, right? We learned language by learning words. And this approach completely failed, completely, utterly, miserably failed. We were looking at machine translation and over the course of 20 years, its accuracy didn't improve at all, okay? It got faster, it knew more words, but it wasn't any more accurate. It was still a disaster. So in 2017, some engineers at Google said, let's try a new approach. Instead of trying to teach it words, let's use something called a token. And a token is just four letters. So it could be like D-O-G-G -G from doggy. 
So instead of doing words, it was just random four-letter arrangements. And those are called tokens. And then those were converted into numbers, because computers like numbers. And then they just started to do a statistical analysis of the relationship between every four-letter block in the language and every other four-letter block. These four letters often come after these four letters. These four letters come before these four letters. These four letters are usually located somewhere nearby. And so that's all it's doing. The only thing that it knows is that these four letters often come near these four letters. Okay? It doesn't know any facts. The only thing that it knows is that these four letters often come right after these four letters or before these four letters or near these four letters. That is all that it knows. So the way to understand this, this is kind of fun. So think of a couple that's been married for 30 years, okay? And the husband starts talking and he starts, well, back in the day, I went to Lake Winnawawa and the wife goes, here comes that story about the big fish that got away. Because she knows there's a statistical probability that that's right coming right after, right? And that is all that ChatGPT is doing. But by doing that, it's able to talk, okay? So here's the first thing. Experts in ChatGPT do not ask ChatGPT facts. Let me say that again. Experts in ChatGPT do not ask ChatGPT facts. They give ChatGPT facts and ask ChatGPT to think about the facts. And this is why it's a revolution. If it was just a more fancy database of facts, it would not be changing the world the way that it is. It is not a search engine. It is a reasoning engine. It has the ability to think. So let me give you an example. I run a, an investing community in Japan, and I was you know, with my folks and in the community, and I said, now check this out. We took the financial statements from Tesla, and we put them into ChatGPT. We didn't ask ChatGPT, what is the financial condition of Tesla? because it doesn't have a database of facts. So we gave it the facts. We say, here is the current financial condition of Tesla. Please do a financial analysis on this. Boom. I used to do this for a living 20 years ago, writing annual reports and bomb prospectuses for multinational Japanese companies way back in the day. It just nailed it just like this. People who are getting paid $100,000, a year to do this financial analysis, they're all completely unnecessary now. Three seconds later, we had the whole financial analysis done. But here's where it starts to get really profound. I then said to ChatGPT, I'm a director on the board of Tesla. Please tell me, I, I lie to AI on a regular basis, by the way, just so okay. you know, full disclosure. So I said to ChatGPT, I said, I'm, a, I'm on the board of directors. Tell me all the questions that I should ask in the next board meeting. Boom, 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 boom. Multi national, top-tier company, top-tier executive-level questions, all extracted just from looking at the financial statements. So this has the potential to up your career, no matter what your career is. You say, here are the facts I'm being presented with. Here's my role. Tell me how to do my job better. And AI can do that with very high reliability. Okay, so this is, this is absolutely mind-shattering to think that we now have a tool that can think about the facts, okay? So let's riff from there. Okay, let's go. So, you know, it's so funny when you say that and about reinventing yourself, you know, you and I both do a lot of self-improvement, self-help, and we've actually coached and, and worked with people all over the world. 
and you know me with you and us together and you know i came up with a slogan if you want to be unstoppable you've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable and that you know i i wrote about that a couple of years ago and now i see it being more relevant today with what's happening with the ai and earlier when i said you know you got to really prompt chat gbt because I'm also aware it's not a search engine. I've used it to be a search engine and it's useless. It cannot give you that kind of data. And that's where now I see AI really, you know, can be empowering, but also a threat. So why don't you elaborate on that? Well, I'm not very interested in this idea that somehow it's going to be a threat because it will give you faulty facts. But I will take that thought to its logical conclusion. So it hallucinates. So let's let's look at the research on this. Some, some researchers looked at ChatGPT version 3.5, which is its original release last November. And the hallucination rate appeared to be about 24%. Okay. So 24% of the stuff that it was saying was rubbish. Okay. Well, that's about the same as the average bloke down at the pub. <laughs> If you go down to your local tavern or your local pub and you listen to someone talking there, about 24% of what they say is going to be rubbish. So, but then ChatGPT4 came out and the researchers looked at it again and the hallucination rate had gone to 2%. Okay. So it now hallucinates less than almost anybody in your office. <laughs> or Yeah, definitely. But once again, who cares? If all it was was a better way of retrieving and searching for data, it would not have the meaning that it has. Okay, so you, you mentioned automation earlier. The big roadblock in automating most processes in our business, whatever your business is, I don't actually care. It's going to be universal. The big roadblock is that there are steps in the process that require intelligence, not steps in the process that require access to data. We could already access all the data in our corporate databases for any automation process that we wanted to do. What we couldn't access was automated thinking. Okay, so let me give you an example of this. ChatGPT now reads all my email. Just absorb that for a moment. Most people have been focused for the last year on the fact that ChatGPT can write. Well, it's more interesting that it can read. Okay, so I have it read my email. Now, one thing that that everybody watching this podcast or listening to this podcast should absorb is that you've been trained to think a certain way about computers, right? You've been trained to think that they don't think. You've been trained to think that they have no creativity, originality. Anything that you think that computers are bad at, AI is good at, okay? Anything that you think computers are bad at, AI is good at. So for example, you've probably been taught that computers have no emotion, and that they don't have any ability to understand human emotion. Well, this is something that AI is fabulous at. So ChatGPT reads my emails and assesses the emotional content of the email. Is this person expressing a positive emotion, a negative emotion? What emotions and how strongly are they being expressed? Okay. And then if it's a high level negative emotion email, that those are the kind of things that you need to stay on top of if you don't want your business to run into big problems, right? <laughs> it actually calls my phone and sends me the content of the email, says we've received this negative email, 
and here's a proposed response to it, but you should get on this right away. And so the rest of my emails, I don't, I don't care if I don't see them until the end of the day. There's nothing really urgent there. It's assessing whether there's an urgent problem that needs to be addressed just from the tone of the person sending the email. Wow. Even I'm blown away. Okay. That's a whole new level of automation, That's right? Entirely new level. Now, since we're talking about sales, let's look at the flip side of that using AI's ability to work with and assess emotion. Okay. Say you're putting together a sales campaign. Okay. And or a marketing campaign, and you have some ad copy. It's either going to go in a social media post or it's going to go in an ad in traditional media, whatever. And you want to convey a certain emotion to the people who are viewing this ad, right? Maybe you want to convey excitement. Well, you can now ask AI to assess the emotions that are actually being conveyed. Tell me all of the emotions that this is conveying and at what level they're being conveyed. Scale of zero to 10. Maybe it comes back and says, we've got excitement at level seven, but maybe you need that to be an eight, nine, or 10 if this marketing campaign is really going to hit, you know, and deliver the results that you're looking for. Then you ask AI, well, now we're going to use its writing ability, rewrite this to bring the excitement up to eight, nine, or 10. And it's going to change, you know, very subtle selections of words and so forth to convey that emotion of excitement at a higher level. That's an unbelievable capability to have right at our fingertips right now. And virtually nobody is making use of that because they haven't figured out that AI actually understands human emotion. Yeah, you know, and uh, I uh, was talking to Jeff Hunter. He owns Savage Marketer and he's put on an AI summit here in Manila. And he was talking about, you know, you can actually ask AI to write or ChatGPT to write in the same methodology that Dan Kennedy or that Ogilvy would do. That's interesting, but I'm sorry. He's only half the way there. Yeah, but even so then. Let, no, let me tell you the next step of that. Yeah. Take your best-selling ad copy that you've ever had, okay? The email that you sent out that just knocked it out of the park, the highest closing rate you've ever had, or maybe you're a, sale, a more traditional sales organization and you, have a, you do telephone sales and you have a sales script. Take the two sales scripts in your history that have delivered the most results, okay? I'm gonna tell you exactly how you do this, okay? It's, it's pretty tricky. Put those into ChatGPT, then ask ChatGPT to analyze in depth, in detail, the style of the writing used, okay? Now, after it's done that, the next thing you say is, write a prompt that I can give you that will get you to consistently write in exactly the same style as the messages I've just shown you. And it will create a prompt that you can attach to every writing task in your marketing organization or your sales organization moving forward that will write in exactly the style that has most connected, not in general with the world, but with your actual clients. So, and so you're niching it. Completely tailored to your organization. So this was one of the things that um, I did with my, with my TED Talk, obviously, because it's the first TED Talk where no human actually appeared to give the TED Talk. I didn't go. Yeah, and I thought that was phenomenal. Yeah. So um, obviously, AI has cloned my voice and recognizes my voice, but I didn't get it to just clone any voice. I gave it audio of one of the best presentations that I've done in the last 20 years and said, clone this voice. So now I have an AI cloned voice, not of some generic presenter, 
not even of a generic me, but of me at my best. And it actually knows how to mimic the rhythm and the energy and the excitement of that. And then I also had, you know, AI writing the, the text for the TEDx. And I had it, you know, mimicking my writing style by showing it excerpts from my books and saying, create a style sheet uh, for these. And then turn that style sheet into a prompt. And so I'd just be feeding that prompt in. So that's like a whole new level of using this thing. I think a lot of people figured out, yeah, any writer that has been published a lot, it can mimic. But those are not the most important ones to mimic. The most important ones to mimic are the people actually inside your organization. So when you're sending out a, an email from the CEO to your staff, that it sounds like the CEO has written it. And one of the things that Microsoft has actually demoed in their Copilot is um, a thing that when uh, ChatGPT built into Copilot writes for you, you can then just say, now uh, imitate my style. And it will pull your style from all the previous emails that you've sent and so forth which is nice, but I think Microsoft is still only 75% of the way there because I don't want ChatGPT to just mimic my style from a whole bunch of random emails. I want to take the emails that I wrote that produce the best results and have it mimic those. Yeah, and just like you were saying, the same with your email marketing campaigns, the same with your ad campaigns or social media marketing. Uh, it just takes it to another level. Take your blog post that got the most views or they got the most retweets or uh, repostings or whatever it is and teach that style to chat GPT inside the context of a prompt. It's amazing what you can do. With yeah. That. And you know, we're going to transcript this and we're going to put it out there and put it on chat GPT. And uh, we want to blow this up and see where it takes us. You blew my mind the other day when uh, I called you the other day and you were in Japan for a lot of you guys that don't know it. James actually has what he's called the, a billionaire club and he coaches, you know, uh, business owners, uh, you know, hundred million dollar companies and he coaches them to take their lives and business to the next level. And you were telling me you took a break and you were telling me how excited you were about what's going on. And never before uh, have we seen anything like this because now Chat GBT can see and it can act off of what it sees. So you want to talk about that and how people can actually integrate that into their business because you built a landing page in three seconds. Yeah, so it's what Chat GPT vision can do. And most people don't know there are currently five versions of Chat GPT, and each of them has different capabilities. Uh, available to them. So you have default chat GPT, which now has vision built in. So that's one type of chat GPT. You have chat GPT that does web search with Bing. That's the second version of chat GPT. You have another version of chat GPT, which is called advanced data analysis, which is the worst name in all of marketing history. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's not, I'm, I'm sorry for all the guys at OpenAI, but that is just not what that it's not is. exactly impulsing okay. anyone no well and it's it's a it's a misnomer so people think it's for data analysis when it's for a much broader uh set of applications than that then we have chat gpt plugins which allow chat gpt to basically access external apps similar to the iphone app store so whenever there's something that chat gpt can't do on its own it can access an external resource to get the job done 
And then there's ChatGPT Dolly 3, which is ChatGPT that can actually generate images similar to um, Midjourney or Leonardo AI or any of those other kind of stable diffusion programs, except for it can do text, which none of the other programs to date have been able to do worth a darn. So you wanted to talk about vision. And vision is insane. We could literally spend two weeks talking about what vision allows for. Okay. And in my AI superhuman community, we're actually about to spend the next two weeks doing nothing but talking about what chat GPT vision allows us to do. But the, put very simply, you can upload a vision, a, uh, an image, a visual into chat GPT and interact with chat GPT around that visual. So for example, let's just take some really simple examples to start with. I was uh, with my billionaire network here last weekend, and uh, we had invited a guy to come in and talk. Um, he basically created the web version of the Shark Tank in Japan, and I was on that three, four times, I guess. And so he, he just sold one of his companies for a quarter of a billion dollars, I guess. And so we had him come in to talk to our group, and he's a somewhat of a... Let's just say he's interested in fashion. And so I took a picture of him and I uploaded it to ChatGPT and I asked it to write a fashion magazine article about the fashion displayed in the picture. So it first it nailed his jacket. Okay, fine. Then it nailed his t-shirt, his, you know, kind of designer t-shirt. Fine. Then it started to comment on his hairstyle and his, the highlights in his hair. And then it started to comment on his fingernails. Crazy. Because he was very nicely manicured and had some nail art going on. And ChatGPT had looked down to the level of the fingernail in a photo that I had just snapped on my iPhone. And all I had said was write a fashion magazine article about this photograph. So the first thing that I want people to realize about AI is it can see things that we can't see, right? Just like when we have it read something to analyze its style or read something to analyze its emotion, it's going to pick up on stuff that we miss, right? Nobody else that I've, and I've, you know, kind of been testing out this hypothesis and have shown that photograph around to some people and, you know, tell me what you see. Nobody has commented on fingernails. Yeah. ChatGPT is the only one that nailed that. So, okay. So we're, we're, we're with our billionaires and it gets to be lunchtime and they serve this uh, very traditional Japanese lunchbox. And I don't know how many of you have seen a traditional Japanese lunchbox, but there's a little bit of this and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this over here. And it's all very detailed and, you know, not like just a big pile of spaghetti or something like that, right? There's 20, 30 different items in this little box. And I took a picture of the lunchbox and I showed it to ChatGPT and I said, write the menu. And it named all the food items and it named them in the way that they might appear on a menu so as to be appealing. It took that whole context of the word menu and then the, everything that was in the photo and it conflated those together and produced this menu for this amazing Japanese lunch. Then I said, estimate the number of calories in the lunch. Went item by item, looked at the volume, looked at what that item was, calculated the calories for each item, added them all up, estimated the calories for the lunch. So think about what that does. So say you're a bodybuilder and um, you know, you've been trying to get your macros right. But the thing that's confusing 
for anybody that's actually ever tried to do this is that, you know, it, they say you should get like 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. And so you go, okay, maybe I'm weighing in at 90 kg. And so I need to get, you know, 180 grams of protein or whatever it is. So then you go out and you order 180 gram steak, but then you realize steak is not all protein. It's actually 50% water and it's got kind of 26, 27% protein. And so you're trying to get your macros right. Well, now you're just going to be taking pictures of your food and say you're going to have one conversation for your macros for the day. And you're just going to take pictures of all of your food and say, keep, you know, every picture I show you, update the macros for the day. And then it's going to tell you how many carbs you've gotten, how much protein you've gotten. That's crazy. That's like a whole new level, right? So now uh, one of the guys in my, uh, in my group who was sitting with me at lunch was sporting a very nice Tag Heuer watch. And so I, I took a picture of his watch and I said to ChatGPT, well, tell me everything you can tell me about this watch. And so it figured out that it was a Tag Heuer and it figured out what model number it was and it figured out how that model number fit into the Tag Heuer lineup and where it is in the traditional evolution of Tag Heuer watches. And it gave me the estimated price new and the estimated price used. <laughs> Just like you know, let that rock around a little while. So then I was giving a, a workshop um, to some CEOs here on the topic of branding. I took the uh, McDonald's logo and I asked ChatGPT to take a look at the logo and to describe the colors in great detail. So I looked at the colors and described them in great detail. And um, then I used that in a prompt to generate an image. And I got that same kind of vibrant red and vibrant yellow that come out of the McDonald's logo. I thought that's interesting. Well, then I started doing some logo generation because we're doing this branding work, you know, and you can see like the AI superhuman logo here. This was all, of course, created by AI. You know, a designer would have spent a very long time trying to draw that. Took AI seven, eight seconds, I guess. So I said, okay, let's create some logos because I don't know if, you know, how the people listening to this, I don't know how much they've ever been involved in actually printing up the marketing materials that they use, but your printer needs information about your brand colors to get it right. And so there's some systems they use to uh, standardize colors. One of the very popular ones that's used is called Pantone. And so I said, design the logos and then give me the Pantone color numbers that I should send to the printer to get this printed right. And it outputs those uh, color numbers. So, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. So I'll, I'll just touch on the one that you, um, that you brought up. I was, of course, with my billionaires and I had a whiteboard. And so I went and drew on the whiteboard the layout for a web page. And I just, okay, we got home, we got, you know, the store, we got the contact information, we got the registration form. Here's the content of the registration form. I just scribbled all this stuff on the whiteboard. I took a picture of the whiteboard, showed it to ChatGPT, and said, code this web page in HTML and JavaScript. Um, and literally 10, 15 seconds later, I actually had that web page displayed in my Chrome browser. So it's crazy. We're literally going into a world where you're going to look at what a competitor is doing, and you're going to take a photo of it and tell AI, we want to be doing this. Here's what's different between us and our competitor. Create that for us. And that's going to be how long it takes to imitate what your competitor is doing. Yeah. And saving tens of thousands of dollars. And tens of thousands of days. And tens of thousands of days, even even better. So have you generated a, a web page for AI Superhuman? Haven't really 
been bothered with it. <laughs> I, and I know who you <laughs> are, James, and I know money is not a motivator for you. I... It's just that, um, and I'll, I'll bring a little uh, QR code down here. It's just that there's so much demand for what we're doing that I haven't had to focus on the marketing of it very much. You know, literally uh, Success Resources out of Singapore recently kind of scoured the globe uh, looking at people who were teaching stuff in the AI space and in, particularly the generative AI space. And the conclusion they came to is that the number of people who are actually teaching generative AI is currently one. And that's kind of a strange thing. I said, really? And they said, I said, tell me what you mean by that. And they said, well, we found some people who were teaching like single individual programs, like they'd be teaching people how to use mid-journey or something like Correct. that. Okay, fair enough. And of course, that's valuable. I'm not, you know, there are people out there like Heather Cooper, who, man, she just knocks it out of the park with mid-journey every day. And yeah, she's amazing. Great. And she teaches a, you know, a, a course on AI generative art. Fabulous. There are people who are, you know, teaching some stuff around chat GPT. So there are people teaching individual apps. There are also people who are teaching individual use cases. Okay. So they may be teaching something like how to use four different AI tools in your marketing. And so they'll teach you how to use chat GPT, how to use Jasper, how to integrate some of this with maybe an application like a score app or something like that. And this is all very useful if you happen to be a marketer, right? So I'm not trying to belittle what they're doing. But from my kind of perspective, the, it feels a little bit to me like saying, I'm going to, my, my, my mother used to work for carpenter apprenticeship when I was young. Okay. And this is where people go to learn how to become carpenters. And it'd be kind of analogous to you going to carpenter apprenticeship. And I, and I say, we're going to teach you how to use a hammer. Well, hammers are great, right? Like, don't get me wrong. Like, you do not want to like frame and build a house without a hammer. It just really sucks, right? But or or a nail gun, right? Those are great I was tools. Gonna say, give but me it the power tool. Yeah, but it also helps to know how to use a saw. That's right. Right? And a pair of pliers and you know, a screwdriver, and there's some other tools that you're gonna want. Your, you know, your square and so forth. There's some other tools you're gonna want. And then so then I give you four or five tools, and then I say, Well, okay, I'm gonna teach you how to build a shed. And that's great. That's a useful project to complete. You know, I built my first shed when I was in high school, but that doesn't quite make you a carpenter yet, right? I'm going to teach you how to build a shed and how to build a house and how to build some furniture. And then you can go out and build anything because you got the tools that you need and you know how they apply. And where we're at with AI right now is a lot like that, right? So you cannot like just use chat GPT to automatically read all your email and automatically generate responses to everything in your inbox. You need more than one tool to get to that. Even inside of ChatGPT, because we now have five versions, it's like, how do I use multiple versions of ChatGPT across the workflow to actually change my business, right? What do I use this version of ChatGPT for? What do I use this version for? And so on. So that's kind of where we are with AI Superhuman is we're actually taking people who actually seriously want to learn how to use these tools. They're not looking for some you know, gimmicky, hey, I'm going to give you four prompts that are magic. No, they're not. Learning how to prompt is magic. Absolutely. Learning all the things that AI can be used for is magic. Learning how to link multiple programs together in your workflows, in your business, to actually get the results that you're after is absolute magic. You remember when we were, we were with Tony Robbins in, uh, I believe it was LA, the very small group of us. And, uh, and I'll never forget, and I, I know this will resonate 
with you because this has my been my journey with uh, AI using Midjourney, using ChatGPT, and having it expound on my own ideas, my own IP, uh, speak in my own language. There's a lot of people out there giving away free prompts or explaining the prompts that you can use to make things better, faster, more efficient. But that's been my own challenge as well, you know, is finding a way to integrate all of them, just like a solution that could really impact a business, right? That could really impact the sales, the performance, impact customer retention all in one rather than just a one and done thing. And Tony Robbins used to say, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of questions you ask yourself, right? And that's been my my uh, experience so far, but still not connected the dots. And that's why I wanted to get you on because you've taken it to an entirely new level, higher than anyone else in the world, connecting the dots as an ecosystem to really not just use one tool, but a combination of the tools to really create massive results. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's kind of analogous to um, buying a phrase book to try and learn a foreign language. Yeah. <laughs> and and don't get me wrong. I mean, if, if you have no intent to actually learn the language, a phrase book will get you through a day in Rome. Yeah. You know, me dispiace non parlo italiano, but okay, fine. But that's not the same as learning to speak Italian. And learning to speak Italian or learning to speak Spanish or learning to speak Japanese is, it goes beyond the phrase book. It's learning, you know, how that's actually put together. And people shouldn't be afraid of it. This is the next thing that I really want to get across. Because a lot of people, they hear this tech, tech, oh my God, tech. No, like not anything but tech. I'm not a tech person. I'm a humanities person. No, I can't do tech, right? You know? And okay, fair enough, because tech used to be quite daunting. And it, the, it used to be that the learning curve was quite steep, right? Because you had to learn like whole new languages. You had to learn like how to program in Python or C++ or PHP or whatever. And man, that's a lot of work, right? And do I really have time for that? Shouldn't I just hire somebody else to take care of that part of my business? But then something changed. And what changed was computers learned how to speak your language. Okay, And when a computer learns how to speak your language, you no longer have to learn how to speak its language. This is what's changed. And it means that the learning curve, there's still a learning curve. Don't get me wrong. There's some stuff to cover. But the learning curve is much shorter than it's ever been before. So I, I have a really great story in um, June. So it's just three months, four months ago. This uh, middle-aged Japanese woman joined my AI superhuman community. And she's just a normal kind of everyday you know, somebody you would might meet anywhere. And uh, the first day she joined my program, she sent me a message. And uh, I'll never forget this. She said, man, everything is so new to me. You know, there's all this new information. And I really don't know if I'm going to be able to keep up. Is it okay for me to still be in the community? And I said, well, by all means, that's who we created the community for, is by people who or for people who think they're going to struggle with keeping up with all this AI stuff. And that should be just about everybody, right? In all honesty, most people are going to struggle to keep up. And I, I said, so, you know, just stay with the process. It'll be fine. And 28 days later, she sent me another message. And she said, you know, I joined AI Superhuman a month ago. And I went home after the last, you know, we do it all online. But she's like, after the last session in the afternoon, I sat down and, well, I don't know how to say this, but I, I created the game Tetris. And I've never programmed anything in a computer in my life. 
and I'm just kind of flabbergasted. <laughs> she needed Tetris. Yeah, she she got ChatGPT to write all the code for Tetris and actually had it up in a in a sandbox environment and actually working and actually being able to play the game. And she'd been with us for 28 days, and so there's still a learning curve, but the learning curve is much shorter. Time has been compressed. And so I, I don't want like non-technical people to be afraid of, of this AI thing. They should be looking at this opportunity to catch up. So anybody that was kind of behind on the IT front, right? It's like I wasn't the, the, the biggest computer geek or I never learned how to program computers. I probably should have 20 years ago, but I didn't. And so I've always been a little bit behind. Well, this is the opportunity to catch up. Because if you can talk, read, and write, then you can use these tools. The secret sauce. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> the secret sauce, if there is a secret sauce, is actually understanding what the tools are capable of. Okay? Because if you don't, the, the proper way, and I, and I do believe this is the proper way to look at it, the proper way to view AI is as a new employee. And um, about a month ago, three weeks ago, I was on a a call actually with Sam Altman, who's of course the CEO of OpenAI, which is the creators of ChatGPT, and had an opportunity to be in on this call. And he was talking about this and he says, you should look at ChatGPT as an intern. I thought that was really interesting because I've been telling people to look at it as a new employee. And um, well, sometimes it's absolutely brilliant and sometimes it behaves an awful lot like an intern, right? But if you're gonna make the best use of your intern or you're gonna make the best use of your new employee, you need to know what that employee is actually capable of doing, okay? Maybe that employee speaks Spanish, but you don't know that. And you're trying to open a market in Mexico or Costa Rica or Spain or wherever it may be. And you should be making use of that employee, but you don't know that that employee speaks Spanish. Well, you're not going to make use of them, and that's not ideal. And so you really want to gain an understanding of the breadth and depth of what AI is capable of. That sounds trivial, right? Like we should be able to just kind of knock that off in an afternoon, but it turns out that it's not trivial at all because the engineers at OpenAI don't even know what ChatGPT can do. You're right. And, you know, you've been involved in the community, like you said, since 1985. You know, you are definitely prehistoric. And <laughs> I feel prehistoric, dude. I feel like a dinosaur. Yeah, no, but let's, let's face it, man. All companies, you know, there's two types of companies, especially today, the quick and the dead. And I talk about that in my podcast. And a lot of people come to me and they talk about, you know, how do I increase my sales and, and my profits and, and scale my business? And it's always not just a conversation of doing sales. I mean, there's if it's one thing to do sales and increase sales. It's another thing to scale that uh, with systems and even beyond that, to retain your customers. It's just a, a whole different ballgame. And, you know, so many people want a quick fix rather than actually doing the work. And uh, it's only been a year, like, as far as the public eye. And I, I got that award right there for the sales machine at an AI conference, Intercon, where, you know, Dr. Alan Bernard, who, you know, increased, decreased Microsoft's inventory by a half a billion dollars and earned him a couple hundred million dollars. And he got it from writing algorithms. And it was, everybody was talking about AI then, but it's only in the last year when it's really went into the public with mid journey and all of Jesper. This is the good news, isn't Great it? News. Because if you're in a company 
you know, there isn't anybody in the company that's five years ahead of you. Absolutely. And if they are, you can model them. You can use these tools to elevate your and advance your career even that much faster. In most careers you come in, they're going to be people who are five years, 10 years ahead of you. Correct. But not now. Right now, everyone is maybe five months ahead of you. Well, five months is recoverable. Five years or 10 years may not be recoverable. And the same holds true for your competition. Your competition might be four or five months ahead of you, but they're not five years ahead of you right now anymore. Absolutely. So that's how I see, you know, AI superhuman adding value, not only to individuals, but businesses, organizations. Let me, let me give you some examples of that. Like um, I've got a guy in my, in my course, his name's Gary, and he's from Australia. He's a really bright guy. And uh, he decided he was going to use, he wanted to get a, a better job. And so he decided he was going to use AI to get a better job. And so uh, it used to take him about eight hours to uh, apply for a job. And he got that down to 15 minutes. Okay. So he would, uh, you know, find, find an, a job that seemed interesting to him on LinkedIn or whatever. And he would copy all the organizational information and the job information. And then he had a prompt set up with his uh, biographical information, all the facts about him. And it would generate an automatic cover letter specific to that job. And it would generate a resume tailored exactly to that job. Nothing, not making any stuff up, but based on his bio, but just how does that need to be presented for this job? And he spent a week and a half or so kind of sending these things around and got two jobs, literally uh, actual job offers. In two weeks, he had two job offers paying six figures. This is stellar, right? That's amazing. I, I think it's phenomenal. And I'm not threatened by the AI at all. I, I think I know that it can be a, a value add and we are already using it. My marketing team already uses it. I've used it to expound on like the seven superpowers to building championship teams. I gave it a framework and then, you know, we used it to emphasize and with in a way that, you know, would be appealing to people having superpowers. And it, it really kicked out some really cool stuff. And some of it, I've even incorporated it. And I, I give that away to companies of what they can do to empower their teams. And I just thought it was amazing. You know, I've been building and scaling sales teams for 20 years at camps and gathering all these, this different knowledge and terminology and methodology for moving the, the, the teams forward, right? And so as I was doing this, you know, I would document and it used to be the three A's, right? Where you acknowledge, accept, adjust, and you can have a winning team. And finally, last year, I came across the fact that no matter what I was doing, without the level of awareness of every single participant on the team, right? That there's no way I could drive it forward and or perfect a methodology when there's so many humans and different belief systems and different backgrounds for it ever to come to fruition. But I was able to start connecting different dots last year, right? And I, I connected the dots of awareness, accountability, acknowledge, accept, adjust, align, and appreciate. And since then, I've, I've ran several different camps, right? It's called the Ultimate Leadership Challenge. And the level of participation, 
the level of achievement, the level of dedication and commitment, and the results of the camp has been unbelievable. And I had chat GPT right out, like a definition of each one of those. And it was pretty spot on. And now I've turned it into an entire courseware and something that took me 20 years to connect the dots, right? And it's been painful, right? To learn how to build and scale, I mean, world-class teams. And then it just put it into a course that would probably have taken me at least six, eight weeks. It did it in an afternoon. Being around AI since 1985, we kept having this thing like, it's coming, it's coming, and then it didn't show up, and it's coming, it's coming, and then it didn't show up. And this is actually a big challenge for a lot of people because a lot of people have it stuck in their mind that, yeah, AI is going to be here in the near future, right? No, and it's, it's in that near here. Because for 20 or 30 years, it was going to be in the near future. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it arrived. It arrived, but people still have it stuck in the brain that it's in the near future, right? So I thought, well, this is going to change everything because it actually has finally arrived. Now we're looking at the real deal. So, oh, now what do we do? And I realized it's going to change every, every job on the planet is going to be changed. So I thought, well, I'm an author. As, as you mentioned, I've done 20 best-selling books, but at that time I'd only done 18. And so I thought, well, it's going to affect how I, how I work as an author. And so, well, okay, I'm going to have to use AI to, AI is going to be writing books. I may as well get right on that. And um, well, that was really interesting. So I actually um, just kind of bring this over here. <laughs> you wrote a book about AI from AI. Well, I didn't write it. I know. So this is um, this is called a book about AI written by AI. And um, it took me, you know, it used to take quite a while to write a book. Well, this book was written in three days. Yeah. Three days. And um, and we got it published a month later. I had to like lean on the publisher. I was like, no, you don't understand. This needs to go out now. Like you're living in a dinosaur age. If it takes three days to write, it shouldn't take more than a month to publish. And well, a month later, we had it in the bookstores, and this literally became the first bestseller in the world uh, that was actually written by AI. And well, you know, now it's um, it's out there in Chinese and English, and okay, fair enough. And the translations were also done by AI, and it just every job is like changing, and everything is moving so much faster. So if you're not like, we're almost a year into this, if you're not doing things... 10 times as fast as you were doing them before you were a dinosaur. Yeah, I, and I agree, James. And I love how you've, uh, what the way you're connecting the dots with all of the different tools. And it's kind of like what Chet Holmes used to say about CEOs. So as an example, and this is why I love the work you do. And that's why I love having these conversations because I get so much value for myself out of it and understanding you know, a lot of people are either strategic or they're tactical, but very few can be, and, and he says this about CEOs, very few can be strategic and tactical, connect all the dots and turn it into results consistently and scale it. And that's what I see you doing with AI Superhuman. I mean, you've connected more dots than anyone uh, that I've talked to, and I've been to these AI summits, I've gotten awards at these summits for uh, the sales machine software. But just like you said earlier, and there's nothing wrong with them, a lot of it are just tacticians, not connecting the dots of what all of it can do for an organization. And, uh, you know, I look forward to implementing it in my business 
And I not only that, I look forward to sending people to you because I think it's going to make us all better. Well, appreciate it. So what, what else do you want to ask and talk about while we're here? Well, no, uh, what's next for you, ultimately? What's next for you? What's your next goal? And how do you see AI playing out in, in the next five years? What do you think it's going to look like in the next five years? And this, I know, is a difficult question because everything's growing exponentially. Yeah, five years is a long, long time. Yeah, it's like a um, century now. You know, stuff that you thought, man, that's got to be a, a year away comes out in a week. So all I can say about the next five years, there's going to be a whole lot of change ahead for everyone. And for me, it's kind of a balancing act. And the balancing act is, well, there's going to be more and more change. And obviously, we got to get on that wave. And obviously, we got to ride that to its natural conclusion in our businesses and in our lives. You know, it doesn't make any sense to try and ignore the fact that AI is here, or try and avoid it or, you know, try and not use it or try and hope that it will go away. Uh, the great ostrich theory of risk avoidance leads to death. You can't just stick your head in the sand and, you know, hope that the threat will go away. That's not going to happen. That's not realistic. But then at the same time, we need things that are timeless in our lives that give us a source of stability to, to hold on to. And that also has to be there. And, you know, during my career, obviously, I ran the Franklin Covey organization in Japan for, uh, I think, eight years that I did that and basically created kind of the whole personal development world in Japan. And I've been thinking a lot about the what we do with the more traditional personal development stuff and how useful that is to people, especially in times of change. And um, this is my opportunity to now piss off a lot of people. So be it. Um, <laughs> They are the facts. I was uh, writing a commentary to um, some young people of the somewhat left political persuasion, and um, I wrote this. And so, is it okay to be controversial on this podcast? 100%. Get real. That's like the first public trigger warning I've ever given. <laughs> so I said this, for anybody who is anti-capitalist and hates America... Go to a communist country, and while you are there, abandon any product of American capitalism. These would include electricity, light bulbs, air conditioning, airplanes, anything that is manufactured on an assembly line, the telephone, the internet, refrigeration, the elevator, oil. I mean, people forget, before American capitalism, we were using whale oil to light the house at night. The standardized shipping container, global trade, and all things made possible thereby the convenience store, the supermarket, nuclear power, transistors, IC chips, personal computers, GPS, photocopies, lasers, skyscrapers, credit cards, microwave ovens, barcodes, MRI machines, recorded music, traffic lights, television, nylon, video games, microprocessors, e-commerce, digital cameras, social networking, zippers, drones, dishwashers, escalators, windshield wipers, smoke detectors, hearing aids, vacuum cleaners, air traffic control, Bulldozers, calculators, electric fans, solar power, wheelchairs, electric razors, insulin for diabetics, contour plowing, the combine harvester, drip irrigation, the cotton harvester, x-ray machines, dialysis machines, the grain elevator, frozen foods, the milking machine, the electric washing machine, dry cleaning, the electric stove, the blender, the coffee maker, the clothes dryer, the juicer, the nail making machine. Before American capitalism, males were being hammered one nail at a time. 
uh, Portland cement and concrete, the excavator, the crane, construction adhesive, steel framing, steel cable, rebar, the forklift, the backhoe, the power drill, construction management software, the electric power grid, electric vehicles, alternating current, fuel cells, wind turbines, shale gas, lithium ion batteries, LEDs, geothermal heat pumps, tidal power, the Panama Canal and all the trade that passes through it, carbon capture and storage, public libraries, ambulance service, first aid kits, social security, air mail, vaccines, radio broadcasts, the helicopter, ATMs, fast food, the glass melting furnace, compound lever fingernail clippers, chat GPT and other large language AI models, mid journey and other stable diffusion AI models, the nail gun, dwarf wheat, which feeds the planet, for God's sakes, motion picture cameras, stock tickers, alkaline storage batteries, lightning rods, the open hearth furnace, windshield wipers, remote controls, spell checking, machine learning, the induction motor, the sunken or flush rivet, the ice cream cone, peanut butter, chocolate chip cookies, cheeseburgers, microphones, vulcanized rubber, liquid fueled rockets, crop rotation, smartphones, the typewriter, the word processor, interchangeable parts. The milling machine, the screw cutting lathe, the surface grinder, CNC machines, Teflon, plastic, Kevlar, carbon fiber, polycarbonate plastics, fiberglass, plexiglass, superconductors, catalytic converters, liquid nail polish, waterproof mascara, lip gloss, under eye concealer, long wearing lipstick, the pill, the modern rubber condom, synthetic latex, rubber gloves, CPR, defibrillators, the EpiPen, trauma centers, Tylenol, statins, metformin, proton pump inhibitors, Beta blockers, antiretroviral drugs, altaplays, monoclonal antibodies, basketball, baseball, volleyball, snowboarding, skateboarding, the bowling pin setter, the football helmet, mountain bikes, the modern golf ball, the motorhome or RV, travel trailers, RV parks, the pop-up camper, monopoly poker, jigsaw puzzles, garbage disposals, garage door openers, lawnmowers, thermostats, central heating, drywall, fiberglass insulation, double-paned windows, suburbs, septic tanks, Lawn sprinklers, wall-to-wall carpets, sanitary landfills, recycling, compactors, the automatic transmission, the electric freezer, the mousetrap, multi-track recording, the halogen light, continuous glucose monitors, denim, surgical robotics, electronic banking, debit cards, walkie-talkies or portable two-way radios, automatic doors, laser surgery, the heat pump, smartwatches, security cameras, wheeled suitcases, instant photography, automated warehouses, LASIK, auto-flush toilets, Motion sensors, email, shock absorbers, the diesel locomotive, plasma TV screens, liquid crystal displays. I can go on all day long. If at the end of 60 days, your sorry, ungrateful ass is still alive, you will come home an American patriot. But until you are willing to forego the gifts this great nation has bestowed upon you and all mankind, learn some damn humility. Your ideas of government have yet to produce anything except for poverty, death, and despair. There is no other system of government that survives save for suckling at the tit of the abundance produced by the most moral system of government ever implemented among men. And I want to add to this, increasing and advancing humanity for the greater good of all. And there's one more you didn't mention that was also created by an American, and that's the sales machine, ladies and gentlemen. Continue there, James. Yeah, after your shameless plug, which is always appreciated. So, um, and we could go on thousands and thousands and thousands. And literally more creativity was unleashed in the first 200 years or 225 years of the American experiment than in all of humanity previous to that time. 
And we lifted more people out of poverty than had ever been lifted out of poverty in all of human history prior to that time. And in fact, what we now consider the poverty line in the U.S. would have been the life of kings in any age prior to America. And I got to thinking about this, and because it's, it's worth thinking about. What was it that created all of this prosperity? And the interesting thing is that America was the first uh, country in the world to really have a personal development culture outside of the context of organized religion, although deeply rooted in the Judeo-Christian ethic, no doubt about that, um, and to emphasize the value and the power of goals. And to emphasize, because once you, once you take this assumption from Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, well, what does that mean? Because we'd never had that before, right? And if all men are created equal and somebody is demonstrably above you in social status because of their wealth or what they've achieved, well, you ought to be able to achieve that. Well, then how do you do that? Well, you do that through developing yourself as a person, right? And so all of a sudden, personal development mattered because if you bought into the divine right of kings and the unequal creation of man, then all the personal development in the world wouldn't have done you a hill of beans because you were never going to become the king. But this statement that all men are created equal, and yeah, certainly it's, it's taken us uh, some time to realize that ideal, right? But once that that was there to aim for, personal development became relevant. Absolutely. And so I'm, I'm looking at spending a good part of my future actually teaching people the American way, this very peculiar and particular philosophy that led to the unleashing of all of this creative power, because it's a, it's a very definitive philosophy that can be learned and can be practiced. So that's, that's one of the things that's kind of next on my highway. But right now, I'm just trying to uh, help as many people as possible not get washed away by the wave of AI and not get left behind. Because I said, this is the one time you don't need to be left behind because this revolution is not for geeks. This one's for everyone. This one's for everyone who's watching. Yeah. And no one needs to get washed away. They can actually, you know, look you up and go to AI superhuman and check out James Skinner. Look for him on uh, his TEDx talk is absolutely phenomenal. He didn't even go to it first ever, like showed up, made it happen. Um, all through AI. And so this is going to empower uh, not only individuals, but companies, corporations, organizations, governments, communities, everybody around the world. Get on board, ladies and gentlemen, uh, and enjoy the ride because, you know, it can be your life raft, uh, AI superhuman, uh, so you can ride the waves because if anybody else can do it, so can you, uh, especially if you reach out um, and, you know, get in touch with James and he'll teach you how to use it strategically, tactically to to grow yourself and your organization. Thank you, James. You are an amazing man. You have a more amazing. Can we art. add something before we close yes. here? McKinsey, the great and famous consulting company, put out two numbers that I think everyone should be aware of. They're both really important. The first number that McKinsey put out is that 800 million people, that's about, I think, seven times the entire labor force of Japan, something like that, um, are in jeopardy of losing their jobs due to AI and automation. That's two and a half times the entire population of the United States, okay? let alone the working population. Well, 
That estimate was made before ChatGPT was announced. Okay. Goldman Sachs just put out a paper showing that 25% of all working hours in the US are now replaceable by generative AI. That's 25% of all the working hours. Well, if you replace 25% of the working hours, uh, that gives you an unemployment rate equal to the Great Depression, 1933. So, wow, that's a huge, you know, when I went to talk about, I was invited to speak about AI at the United Nations and they, they wanted to understand the risks. And well, that's the risk, okay, is it's gonna replace a lot of our current labor. Well, what about the opportunity side? And, you know, because the newspapers and the media likes to sensationalize the risk and not focus in on the other side. McKinsey has estimated that generative AI alone will result in $4.4 trillion in new corporate income. Okay. Well, that's on par, just to put this in perspective, it's a little bit larger than the entire economy of the UK. It's larger than defense spending. It's larger than pharmaceuticals. It's larger than the entire global entertainment industry. Okay. It is larger than any industry, with two exceptions total healthcare and is larger than telecommunications, larger than total healthcare and one other. It's escaping my mind at the moment, but it's basically the largest thing that's ever happened, right? And that was just across 66 use cases. <laughs> well, I, I'm 66. sure you are blowing the minds of the listeners here today. Uh, and, you know, if so for me, that's the question, John, let's just ask the question because we're talking about sales. Which portion of that increased corporate revenue is going to your company? That's my question for everyone, because it's going to go somewhere. When I was um, in high school, my cousin Linda came over for Christmas party, and she said the strangest thing that day. She said, you know, the Rolls-Royce, Rolls-Royce has a factory, and today that factory is manufacturing Rolls-Royces, and um, somebody's got to get the car, so why not me, you know? And so somebody's going to get this increased revenue. Somebody's going to get this extra $4.4 trillion in increased revenue. Well, why not your company? Um, and for everyone who's listening, which portion of that's going to go to you and what are you going to do to make that happen? Because the opportunity is the largest opportunity we've ever had. And the fact of the matter is we got 8 billion people on the planet. Oh, being really generous, maybe 8 million people are going to share that $4.4 trillion. Right on, right on. Because they're going to be the ones that actually focus in on these AI tools, figure out how to use them, figure out how to leverage them into their business. Um, while everyone else is just sitting, hoping it will go away or thinking it's an interesting toy for your kids to cheat on their homework. <laughs> and, you know, we, we could talk about this for weeks, James, literally. And for me, you know, all of this fear is, you know, it's it's not only been talked about about because of AI. I mean, people have been talking about this fear of losing jobs since robotics came out 30 years ago. Um, it's inevitable that we advance in, 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 with humanity uh, embracing these new technologies and enhancing. Because I also see, you know, people, the enemy of success is comfort. And you want to talk about personal development. The enemy of success is comfort. And we work hard to be successful, to be more comfortable. And it's like a crazy eight, right, in psychology. Because you either embrace it and 
if you're in fear of it, it's just because you're ignorant of what it can do. So connecting the unknown to the known, a lot of the times the unknown causes fear. People are afraid of the unknown. But uh, that's why I love what you're doing. Uh, I plan on 100% integrating AI superhuman into the sales machine as well with my team. Uh, and if you guys out there want to scale your business, you got to reach out, connect with James, download that QR code, get on it, get on it. And uh, I look forward to hearing you guys' comments and reaching out to James, get a hold of him, sign up, make it happen. Yeah, and I'll just say, you know, I'll just say in, in the AI superhuman community, uh, these people are actually live on Zoom, not a webinar, an actual Zoom call with me every single week, opportunities to ask their questions and uh, to really get dialed in. So if we've made some kind of a connection through this and uh, you're watching this or listening to this and you want to you know, pick my brain on stuff, well, AI Superhuman is the place to do that right there. So Right on, right on, come on. That's a wrap, folks. Thanks for joining me today. And if you got value from this episode, do me a favor, like, subscribe, and refer a friend. And if you want even more value, go to thesalesmachine.com, click on resources, and there's tons of resources there to increase profits and drive performance in your business. Right on, right on, come on.